The Truth News Network. A school board cleans up the syllabus, out with the propaganda, in with the education, and promptly the school board meeting is overrun with those organizing to put the propaganda back into the schools and to make it permanent. Not New York, not Los Angeles. This is happening in Wisconsin. Where do you go for guidance? How do you take your country back? Who dares to tell you the truth? We do. TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the last day of the work week. We're so glad you joined us here today at TNN Live. We've got a special treat for you to begin the show this morning. On the phone with us now is Nurse Danny. Now, before you meet her, let me tell you a little bit about her and uh, some of the stuff that she's been through. She's had, um, I think it's safe to say, a pretty tough time. Um, she's a registered nurse, a pediatric specialist, and I'm going to let her tell you in just a moment exactly where she's been and what her medical career has been about. But there have been some changes that have been made in her career, and a lot of her compadres around the nation, other registered nurses and other people in our healthcare industry, are directly impacted by what's going on around us. Everything to do with COVID-19, the coronavirus, and all of the ancillary craziness that every one of us are experiencing, but not like Nurse Danny and other nurses around the country are experiencing. So, Nurse Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really glad to be here with you. So, you're on the East Coast. You're Well, you're not on the coast, but you're close to the coast in Central Florida, at Orlando. Yeah. Give us the background of why you and I are having this conversation today. Right. So we're having this conversation today because um, the people of our nation really deserve to know the truth about what's going on in the healthcare industry that is directly affecting patient care. Now, this is not just about healthcare workers. People think mostly that's what it's about, but it's not. It's about the people that you serve, the people that medical professionals like yourself treat, us, the American people. Tell us exactly what this craziness surrounding the vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccines, have done to you personally. Well, really, it it caused a level of burnout that I never thought I would experience, honestly. Because what I do as a, as a nurse, it's a passion of mine. It's what God made me for. But inside of this broken system with so many policies and procedures that go against what my actual job is to do, it became so difficult to do it. And the last straw that broke the proverbial back was when I was... Um, mandated by my hospital to take an experimental injection. There was an exemption process for medical and religious, but we were told from the onset that it would be very few people who would get exempt. So you worked for a very large hospital chain. I'm not going to use a name. If you want to, you can. But this was not just happening at your facility, the one that you work at 
in Central Florida, but it was around the nation. Correct. Did did other right. other people at other institutions with who you interfaced did they think these same things and feel this same way? Was there fear and concern that they had to deal with as well? Absolutely. Actually, um, we were given some numbers. And those numbers in the, in the emails that we were given from corporate were actually designed to manipulate and scare us. However, I, I really saw through that. And so one of the numbers they gave us was 45% of us in Orlando had chosen not to take the shot. We had from December, late December of 2020, all the way through August to choose to take it or not. And 45% of us chose not to take it. And then in September, they mandated it. And those numbers are a little bit different for Delaware, but the Delaware numbers was 36% of the entire Delaware system chose not to take it, had eight months to take it and chose not to. So, so let me ask you this. I'm sure you had lots of conversations with your peers and I'm sure with your bosses. Um, what were their thoughts or what did you hear or did they give any information out about what they were going to do as healthcare managers, knowing that 35%, as you said, in the Delaware system, and then whatever the number is there in Central Florida, but it's high, the healthcare industry cannot sustain losing 30 to 40% of registered nurses. It can't function with that going on. Is that kind of what you're hearing and seeing happening around the nation? Numbers that high? Numbers that high, yeah. And um, I watched a kind of symposium, like a questions and answer session with um, a group of nurses, about 40 nurses that represented an area, and some of those nurses were reporting as high as 60% have chosen not to take the shot. The healthcare industry cannot sustain that. I don't need to tell you that you're a pro, but for people listening in today, what coach, uh, coach, what, what Nurse Danny is telling us about is, to be honest with you, probably the most catastrophic potential thing to happen in our healthcare industry. Folks, hospitals don't run without registered nurses. The laws in every one of the 50 states make sure that there is sufficient staffing to take care of incoming patients, and the staffing numbers are built around the nursing force, because these guys have to man and operate the floors of a hospital. Every room that's got beds in it means it's going to have patients, and there can only be so many patients allowed to go into a hospital based upon the ratio of patient to nurse, not patient to doctor, patient to nurse. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine how you, you gave your life to this. How many years have you been a practicing RN? 16 years. So you had a lot of preparation in the lead up to that. You didn't just decide, hey, I want to be a nurse and get an RN job the next day. You had your education, your training. Yeah. You invested, in other words, in a career, not in a job, but in a career, and a very important one at that. Did you ever think 
at the run-up to this? Did you ever think something like this would happen to the healthcare industry and specifically to you? No, no, it really is unthinkable. But I'd like to touch on the last question you asked about what my um, coworkers and managers uh, were re- reflecting on these times. Sure. And, and it's really surprising to me the stark difference because those that are at the bedside really supported freedom of choice. And those that were in management were really pushing the agenda of 100% compliance. Why do you think the difference? Well, I think that we would have to follow the money to figure that out. I think you just nailed it right there. I believe everything. Well, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Jesus said Mm -hmm. what about money? He said the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And when there's ever any, especially in today's politics, today's healthcare politics, if you ever see something and wonder why in the heck is this happening, follow the money. I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. It's all about money. Yep. But the scare- And that's what I have Go ahead. seen Go ahead. over the course of my career is that there is not one thing, one service um, that we provide inside of the hospital system and medical system that isn't connected to a dollar sign. All the way down to the diagnosis, we assign a patient. Let me stop you there and ask you this specifically. We've heard lots of rumors coming out about... um, patients coming into an emergency room. We actually had a doctor on from Mount Sinai in New York City that he left Mount Sinai because of what he was being told regarding diagnosis of patients. He had a man, he said, that came in, an elderly man, came into Mount Sinai in the emergency room with a broken leg. They treated his broken leg because of his age and his physical condition. They admitted him. After he was admitted, He was tested and diagnosed positive for COVID-19. He didn't have any symptoms. They had no reason to test him. And so the doctor told us live, he said, there's only one reason they did that was because of the money that comes with having a COVID patient in the hospital. And uh, they had been told to diagnose as many people as they possibly could COVID-19 positive. Did you see any well, of that? Well, unfortunately, I've seen that, and it's affecting our children. So how, the area so? specifically so? that I work in is um, the surgery area, okay? So these kids are coming in for procedures that they need, and the policy, the hospital policy is to swab every single one. Now, when the shot became available and teenagers started to take it, they omitted the, the teenagers who um, took the shot, that those teenagers didn't have to take the swab, but everyone else did. And what was ending up happening was that surgeries were being canceled for asymptomatic children who turned up positive. Explain that. That's, that's puzzling. Well, I mean... <laughs> It's really hard for me to wrap my mind around it too, but 
what I'm what I'm explaining to you is the fact that that's in my eyes med- medical neglect. These children needed this procedure, and they were not allowed to have the procedure because a swab came back positive with no symptoms. That's incredible. Have you heard about what is happening right now in Colorado today? A woman there in stage five kidney failure has to have a transplant, found her own donor. Both of them, both of them are COVID negative. Both of them have refused to take a vaccination. They were scheduled to have this transplant take place, and the hospital intervened and informed them both. Because they wouldn't be vaccinated, they canceled the transplant surgery. Now, that's just unfathomable. I mean, both people, both people are in great health regarding getting this transplant done. All the paperwork Mm. done, perfect match. And then they're not going to, this woman will die if she doesn't get a kidney. That's the bottom line. And there's somebody standing in the hallway (laughs) that has a perfect match that is willing to give a kidney up to save her life. And the hospital won't do the surgery. This is the antithesis to the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, I don't understand that mentality. I don't understand it either. It's it's a crime against humanity. Well, let me ask you this. Give us the run-up to your making the decision to leave health care under these circumstances. Can you give us some specific things that happened to you that caused you to reach this decision? Yeah, definitely. So um, the emails that were sent on a daily basis um, from corporate were really designed to get in our heads and create like a mental and emotional warfare around this shot, okay? And then from there, the, the numbers plateaued and the way they communicated with us got really more aggressive to the point where they were like, roll up your sleeves and take the shot already. Um, Yeah, and so after that, or actually during that time, they implemented the badge tags. So this, if you can imagine what the Star of David was during the Holocaust, it's opposite, okay? Tell our, so they well, were let me, let me, hold on, hold on just a second. Let me tell them what you're talking about. The Star of David during yeah. World War II uh, in Germany, the German government made every Jew that was living in Germany wear a gold star, which labeled them as somebody different from the others, the German people. And they're making nurses wear batch tags now? Yes. So what they did is they told the nurses who, and anybody, anybody in the hospital who got the shot, that it was their duty to wear the badge tag to make sure that others knew who, that they were safe to be around. That's unconscionable. 
yeah. That's the antithesis to what this nation is founded on. Correct. And so how did the atmosphere now, how did the atmosphere change among your fellow nurses in your facility between those who were vaxxed and those that were not vaxxed? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, because um, I love my team. I love the people that I work with. I did life with them. They knew where I stood. I knew where they stood. And we loved and supported each other through that, okay? So they were trying to cause division. And when I say they, I mean corporate was trying to cause division between those who would be vaccinated and unvaccinated. But the people I interacted with, I would ask them point blank, do do I make you feel uncomfortable because I'm not wearing that badge tag? And the answer was always, no, you have the choice. You made your choice. I have the choice. I made my choice. I respect that. But somebody weaponized that in corporate, obviously. Correct. Let me let me just tell you, I don't know if you know this. You know who CMS is, right? Centers for yeah. Med- yeah, that's who regulates all the money and stuff like that that goes into Medicare and Medicaid. They're the ones right. that write the, the 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 rule books, CMS, the uh, the 1099 uh all of the coding that goes into healthcare, and they also control the way dollars are distributed. We did some deep diving here at Truth News Network and found out we were looking for the fee schedule, the way they pay Medicare treatment as it pertains to Medicare patients who were diagnosed and treated COVID-19 positive. And mm-hmm. we actually found a regulation issued by CMS last fall, uh, and it was for what the government would pay per patient, per procedure, for those that are tested positive and being treated for COVID-19. 65% bump across the board. In other words, if, if a Medicare patient checks into the hospital for some kind of respiratory situation, it doesn't matter what it is, if they are being treated for, say, COPD, normal COPD, they're going to get paid X number of dollars on the Medicare fee schedule for that. Um, but if that diagnosis is changed to COVID-19 positive and they're treated and the regulation said there had to be a little added bump, there needed to be treatment or medications provided to that patient that are COVID-19 specific. Mm. The one they were pushing, remdesivir. Oh, no. So there's the money. The hospital yep. money, additionally for COVID nineteen, is um, is oh. is the hospital chain that you were in. Is it not for profit or for profit? Um, it's not for profit. Then that makes you wonder why would these professionals at the corporate level? What would be the big push for them to do what? is happening still to this day, I would imagine, with their facility. They're supposed to just be taking care of sick people instead of being mm-hmm. dollar makers like a for-profit system is. I just threw that. Right. I, just, I just crossed my mind. Let me ask you this. How has this impacted your family? 
oh, wow, well, you, you, towards the end of all of this, they just saw like a chipping away of who I really am. The environment in that hospital was so oppressive that I would come home just done, just totally done. And my ch to the point where my children did not want me to go to work, not because they would miss me. Sure, they do miss me when I'm gone. But really because how mommy comes back just so drained. So it really has affected them. And, and actually it was my husband who gave me the courage to make my last day my last day. Now, you did not get terminated. You voluntarily left your job, right? Yes. I like to say that I powerfully chose to leave. It's always better if you make the choice. So yes. let me ask you this. You obviously were very close to your team you mentioned just a little bit ago. Yeah. How has this thing, and I'm not just talking about you leaving the team, but how has this overall impacted? And let me let me just give you a second part of the question. Um, I I'm I'm positive that you had people on your team that chose to be vaccinated. Have you seen anything or things happening in their lives? Oh my gosh, yeah. So first of all, this has impacted us as a team, as a healthcare team in a hugely negative way. We were already strapped for nurses. We were already wearing three and four hats and, and doing the jobs of three and four people. Um, so, I mean, losing me and losing other people that have chosen the same path, it has put them in quite a predicament. And um, talk about my friends who have chosen to take the shot, whether it be their choice or because the coercion of, well, take the shot or lose your livelihood. There have been serious side effects. So I'm just going to list them off for you. Okay. Um, globally, I've seen so much sickness come from this shot. It hit to a point where we were told by corporate before you take your shot, you make sure that you take it right before a stretch of days off. They expected us to get very ill. And not just, oh, a little cough, a little body aches. No, like very ill, stuck in bed, can't do anything kind of stuff. Wow. Yes. And that's not just one or two. That is a majority response. Okay, so then there was a few friends who had some blood clots. One of my friends had a blood clot so large, it expanded her whole lower leg. Wow, wow. She had to have it surgically removed. Wow. Yes, and then another one of my friends, her, um, the, the arm that she got shot in, completely inflamed with arthritis to the point where she couldn't move it. She had to get MRIs. She had to get injections. She missed work. And then there's the, the last two I would like to mention. 
who these two ladies, they went through the exemption process. They had legitimate medical reasons not to get the shot. And this hospital denied them their medical exemption. On what basis? And these two, uh, they don't give us a basis. They give us a canned response after review from uh, from our committee. We've decided that there's not sufficient evidence to to give you an exemption. Did you apply for an exemption? I did. And you obviously were told denied. Well, actually, the way that happened was um, I could see the writing on the wall that they were going to just drag this out continue this abusive power play kind of stuff and my health my well-being my family is more important than that game well it, it's a it's a really good situation for you and and when I say a really good situation I'm talking about in this in this in, environment that you were in that you have such a great support group there with you your husband you mentioned and your children yeah. are there to support you through it not everybody has that let me ask you this we know a huge number a huge percentage of nurses have left and are leaving the healthcare industry altogether we hear little tidbits yeah. of, of uh, them calling the national guard in to replace mm. nurses have you seen any of that I have not seen that, but I have heard of that. What, I mean, tell me as a professional, I mean, you've done this professionally, so you know a lot of different things within the movings of uh, the mechanism of all of this. How is this right, right now impacting the, the, I'm talking about the, the lack of nursing to staff floors. How's that changing healthcare? And what do you think about them bringing in unprofessionally trained like National Guard people to staff nursing positions. Yeah, it it's taking a broken system and it's cutting it off at the knees. I, you know, we are highly trained, specifically trained professionals. And, I, you know, I do respect our military and what they stand for when it comes to fighting for our freedoms and defending, you know, um, all foreign and domestic threats, and I'm I'm very curious. When did me making a medical decision become a domestic threat? Well, I probably don't need to remind you that in world history, that's pretty much the same way in every authoritarian government that has taken over a country that's where they end up basically telling the populace it doesn't matter what you think all that matters is what we think and they just drive it down line to every one of the people that are in that country the citizens of the country does that i know it bothers you it's i mean it's in your face every day that's what you've done for so long right does all of this does it make you um think bad or fearful about the structure of our nation as it pertains to the healthcare industry? I mean, are you really worried about what's going to happen going forward for all of us? 
I truly am concerned and worried. And I tell every loved one, every person I can speak to, do everything you can to stay out of the medical system and especially the hospital system. Do everything you can to stay well because that it's not a safe place. But there's, you know, there's hope in this too because with seeing what's happening to our nation, there's a new fire inside of me and so many other people to stand up speak up and take our power back because we're, you know, there's power in numbers. Yes. And we need to stand together and we can develop something different. We can just develop something new. We can come together and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it. We're watching an attempt by parents around the nation, not in healthcare, but in school, public school system to push back against the egregious top-down totalitarian school curriculum thing, the critical race theory, etc. We're seeing that happen and as you know, earlier this week, the Attorney General of the United States just reached out, issued a memorandum and basically warned parents that are exercising their First Amendment rights to speak out at public school school board meetings to make sure educators and administrators understand that they don't like the teaching of that and other particular curriculum items to their children. And it looks like this government is weaponizing itself against those who differ with what they are saying and what they want to happen. You lived it and are living it in the healthcare industry. It's now in the public school, public education sector. I agree with you. What you said about we've got to pull together and make ourselves heard, and we've got to get strong and stay strong and push back against stuff like this and whoever is involved in promoting stuff like this. Um, Whatever happened, by the way, to the my body, my choice thing, Right. Why doesn't that apply to this? You would think, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, except for it doesn't fit the agenda. There you go. I think you just nailed it. <laughs> so where are you going? What are you going to do? What What is on the horizon for you that you can share with us right now? Well, I'm just going where the Lord leads me right now. And right now the Lord's leading me to shine a light into the darkness that's happening here. And, um, of course, continuing to take care of my children and homeschooling them full time. And from there, only God knows. <laughs> well, let me just let me just give you a attaboy and tell you, isn't it wonderful to have a relationship with God and have somebody that you can turn to besides your husband, your children? to get some affirmation for things that you've done and get some uh, support for what you're going through? Oh, my gosh, yes. Without that kind of true relationship with a living God, I don't know where I would be, honestly. Nurse Danny, I got to I got to just say this. You're one of my heroes. I, uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for not just what you've done, 
but how you did it. And you stuck to what you knew was right and best for you, for your family, and because of your religious convictions. And I don't know how this is all going to turn out. I don't think you do either. But one good thing that you and I both share that we have is we serve a God that we know at the end of the day, he's got this. Whatever it turns out to be, he's got it. And that the best is yet to come. Amen to that. Hey, listen, you've got my number, and I want you to keep it. And anytime you want to come back and talk to our people, you get news or information you want to share, or if you have any kind of issues that you want to speak to. Here at Truth News Network, TNN Live, you're welcome. We don't consider you, um, you. Um, somebody to interview. We now consider you one of us, so please feel free to come back anytime. Thank you so much. I do want to leave your listeners um, with a foreshadowing of what's to come. Please do. As far as what's going on with these mandates. So it's not going to stop with just the healthcare workers. My previous employer has already been funded by the NAH $14.1 million to push these experimental injections onto our children. Pfizer has, um, I think yesterday or the day before, they, they applied uh, to the FDA to get that authorization already. Uh, it, I, I can't. I just can't imagine jabbing these young girls and boys with this experimental, as you said. I mean, you you know it better than I. It's an experimental drug. It's not a vaccination. It's an experimental test drug. We don't know why. We don't know who. We suspect a lot of those answers are what we think they are but just to be mm-hmm. honest with you and and you know I've, I've been in 28 years in the healthcare industry myself so I, I get a little peekaboo not at the side of it that you're in I can't fathom in the healthcare industry as I know it and have known it and the one that you've been in yourself something like this which is very obviously political how mm-hmm. American leaders would allow this to take over our country and with it has come a groundswell of I mean the most divisive spirit in people mm. it's not about finding any kind of consensus agreement it's not about any of that as our president as he campaigned on he wanted to be a uniter it's 180 okay. degrees from that. There's no uniting going on in any of this. And right. what can they expect the end result to be but more divisiveness? I mean, listen to you. You're be, yeah. you're being very benign and kind in what you're saying and the way you're saying it. But they have basically kicked you to the curb and everybody else like you just because of something you feel and know is best for you because it doesn't fit their line of reasoning and thinking. That's scary. Right. Right. It is scary. But once again, God's got this and we're going to be okay. Whatever the end result is going to be, we're going to be okay. That's right. 
thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And once again, I want to remind you, come back anytime and share some more. I sure will. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend, Danny, Nurse Danny, and the best is yet to come. You're in our prayers. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Nurse Danny, speaking this morning to you and I with um, some facts. Boy, she's been through it. I can only imagine what that does to her in her mind and her heart and emotionally. And folks, there are thousands of other Nurse Dannys out there that are dealing with the same stuff. They're in the business and they can't get all of the answers. And here we are out here struggling every day along with you to try to get the truth of all of this. Wow. Don't go anywhere, folks. There's some big stuff happening. We got it all for you next at TNN Live. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Experience wow customer service at TennisExpress.com. 24-7 phone support and live chat. Product reviews on the latest gear and discounts for your team. Secure payment options with PayPal, Amazon, and more. Exclusive products including limited edition tees. Rackets strung by master racket technicians on state-of-the-art machines. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. Shop TennisExpress.com today. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. I don't think we have all the facts. But the only things that you don't hear about here that are factual are the ones that we don't know. Everything that's important to you, we're out there side by side. I mean, we're in this together. Now, we don't have all the answers, and you don't have all the answers, but we think that together we can kind of plow through and find at least the majority of the answers we need so we can make good choices. And boy, there's a bunch of need for the ability to make good choices going around. There's plenty to share, isn't it? Um, Nurse Danny, I have a lot of respect for her. She's in a tough spot. I can't imagine being a mom with small children. And you've built a career around healthcare. I mean, education, a RN. She was running a pediatric ward, chief nurse in a pediatric ward in a large hospital in Orlando, Florida. And this is happening there. It's part of a group. I could tell you who it is, but we don't want to get in trouble. Don't want to get her in trouble, so we won't. But um, 
that that whole world has turned upside down and it's happening to people that had no input whatsoever into what and why this all happened. They're out there, the medical professionals. I mean, folks, in healthcare, they're administrators. Then on the healthcare side, the treatment side, there are doctors and there are nurses. Those are the frontline workers, not the administrators, the doctors and the nurses. They're out there face-to-face with all of this stuff every day, and they can't get answers for what's going on. This is the United States of America. This stuff is not supposed to happen here. This is the kind of stuff that we hear happening in those nations we mentioned during our conversation with her that are totalitarian. I mean, grab a history book and look up communism. Look up Nazism and fascism. Look up the extermination of people by governments throughout history. And I'm not saying that's what this is. I'm telling you, we just don't know. And you can't get clear, concise, truthful answers that you can trust from our leaders at every level in our government. This is really scary. And as I mentioned to her, Pfizer, it was yesterday. I didn't know which day this week it was, but yesterday... Pfizer applied to the FDA for approval of their vaccine for 5 to 11-year-old kids. No coronavirus vaccine has been approved for children younger than 12. They're looking for five ages 5 to 11. Now, the FDA advisory committee is expected to discuss that application later this month. It comes on the heels of Pfizer's announcement last month reporting that its vaccine is effective for kids in the younger age bracket. Here's exactly what it said. For elementary school-age kids, Pfizer tested a much lower dose, a third of the amount that's in each shot given now. Yet after their second dose, children ages 5 to 11 developed COVID-fighting antibody levels, just as strong as teenagers and young adults getting the regular strength shots. The kid dosage... Pfizer says proved safe with similar or fewer temporary side effects, such as sore arms, fever, or achiness that teens experience. Children generally do not get severely ill with COVID-19 as much older folks do. We know that. But there were still almost 175,000 cases among kids in the week ending September 30th. That's according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. According to the same group, Less than 2% of COVID cases among children result in hospitalization. Now, let me just say this. Just that one number alone. Less than 2% of COVID cases among children result in hospitalization. So that means right now, there is no vaccine that's being used for children. Less than 2% of the people that get the case kids now, ages 5 to 11, or they're going to end up in hospitalization. On the other side of this equation, we have what Nurse Danny aptly labeled an experimental drug, not a vaccine, an experimental drug that we have no idea what all it is and what all it's going to do. We do know, you and I know, and we talked about it, there are a lot of people that get it more than ever in our history that get this vaccine, that are having horrible experiences. She told you about several. 
as of a week ago, Friday, 16,000 people have died from adverse reactions directly from vaccines. 15,937 to be exact. That's the number that the CDC has reported. And the CDC themselves tell us that number is way, way less than the actual number of people that had died. That's the reported number. Additionally to that, 71,000 hospitalizations, 85,000 seeking urgent care, 117,000 doctor office visits, 6,800 cases of anaphylaxis shock, 9,000 Bell's palsy cases, 2,300 miscarriages, 7,600 heart attacks, 21,000 permanently disabled, 21,000. 28,000 severe allergic reactions, 16,000 life-threatening reactions, 3,400 thrombocytopenia and low platelet, 8,100 cases of shingles. Talk about experimental, folks. This is the definition of experimental. This is not what we have been sold a life-saving vaccination. They don't know what the heck it is. You don't. I don't know what the heck it is. This is insanity. Absolute insanity. We're going to circle back a little bit later in this upcoming hour to talk some more about uh, what's going on in COVID world. But there are a couple of other things out there we want you to know about. Yes, the Senate did dodge a U.S. debt disaster. They approved legislation to lift the federal limit on new borrowing, our debt limit, by nearly a paltry half trillion dollars. Wow. Make you feel warm and fuzzy? They did it by voting to extend the government's borrowing authority into next month. Well, no, not next month. Into December. And temporarily, in doing so, avert an unprecedented federal default that experts warned would devastate our economy and harm millions of Americans. It was a party-line Democratic vote, 50-48, to in support of the bill to raise the government's debt ceiling by nearly a half trillion dollars, and it brought instant relief in Washington and far beyond. However, it's only a temporary stay. You know what I mean? They're going to have to come up and do this again in December. Here's what I can't stand. This is dominating. Stuff like this is just takes over what our government is doing. They're not doing anything up there consistently but arguing with each other. Listen, we've got to have leaders in Washington that are about one thing and one thing only, and that's the thing they all put a hand on a Bible and raised the other one and took an oath to, to do the job the constitutional job that they applied for and they were hired to do by voters. And in legislation, what they're supposed to do is legislation. The next debate on this, it's not even going to stop between here and then. It'll take place as lawmakers work to fund the federal government for the new fiscal year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they got to keep up this bitter battle. They're going to do it. 
ad nauseum. We're going to get so sick of it. You think you're sick of it now. Just wait. Joe Biden's top domestic priorities, folks. Don't forget about this. It's a bipartisan, quote-unquote, infrastructure bill with nearly $550 billion in new spending, much more expansive. $3.5 trillion effort focused on what they call health safety, safety net programs in the environment. Mitch McConnell, he offered his support for allowing this short-term extension of the government's borrowing authority after leading I got to be honest with you, it was very solid GOP opposition to a larger extension. They wanted long-term because the longer they can push this out, folks, they being those in ultimate power, the Democrat Party, as long as they can push this stuff out, they can keep manipulating behind the scenes. And they've got millions of dollars in their back pockets that are given by these d- uh, dark money groups much of it funded by the likes of George Soros. And oh, by the way, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, Facebook and Twitter, and a bunch of other very wealthy, hard leftists, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. So putting the Democrats in a box, which basically says, hey, we're only going to extend this through early December. you got to get your stuff together and come to the table. I... I don't have a lot of confidence in leadership that wears any party label in Washington. And the reason I don't is I've a long time ago, I quit listening to what they said and started exclusively watching what they do. And the two are very different. Oh my goodness. They say what they think the people want them to say that they recommend and they represent, but what they do is what is politically expedient for them at the moment. And their oath of office was not about what's best for them. It's about what's best for you and me. We'll keep our eye on it. I can tell you what, I'm glad the weekend, over the weekend, we won't have to sweat through, are we going to default and how is that going to impact all of us down here that don't live in the Potomac Valley? You heard me with... Nurse Danny, we talked about that kidney-failed woman in Colorado that is desperately in need of a, a donor kidney and had found it. Colorado's UC Health is denying her a life-saving kidney transplant that she has found a person that stepped forward that is compatible and has a kidney that they want to donate to her. But the hospital system says, you can't have the transplant because you haven't taken the COVID-19 vaccination. Here's the story. A Colorado woman has stage five renal failure. She was just months away from getting a new kidney. Now though, she and her donor are looking for another place to make the transplant happen after learning that UC Health's policies in Colorado prevent her from getting that kidney. According to the hospital system, the majority of transplant recipients and living donors are now required to be vaccinated against COVID. Neither woman has received their shots and neither woman wants one. So there's a theory floating around. 
and I happen to subscribe to it. This theory is that the organized left wants unvaccinated people, who they all see, they being the left, they all see anybody that is an anti-vaxxer or just somebody that's unvaxxed, not out there supporting it or rallying other people for it, but just doesn't want one. They see everybody in that category as Trump supporters, and we know what they think about Trump supporters. They basically, they want everybody in that ilk, which is really conservative Americans, patriotic Americans, red, white, and blue flag wavers. They basically say, we want you out of the picture anyway, so if you die, too bad. Seriously, folks. Seriously. Lilena Lutali is an end-stage renal failure. What does that mean? It means her kidneys are operating at about 10 to 12%. Her donor, who she found, is a good friend, a woman named Jamie Fonye. Both women are Christians and object to the vaccine due to the use of fetal cells in their production, which are not in the vaccine, but some reproduced cells were used by Moderna and Pfizer in their testing phase. Think about this, folks. You heard the two ugly words, unvaccinated and Christian. What's more, and this is extremely important, Lutali says she's already had COVID, and she tested positive, guess what, for the antibodies. And that's what's called natural immunity. So other than wanting unvaccinated Trump supporters to die, (laughs) what are the possible reasons? What are any other possible reasons for Colorado's UC Health System to deny this woman that life-saving organ transplant? Well, you could argue that rationing is part of the system when it comes to organ transplants. After all, there are only so many organs. And hospitals are sometimes required to make tough decisions about who gets them. And that decision is generally made on who will live longer. Now, you got to stay with me. Let's talk through this process. For example, an unreformed 65-year-old alcoholic's not going to get a kidney before a 20-year-old in pretty good health. But in this case, folks, rationing is not the issue. Lutali found her own donor. She found her own kidney. And her donor is not offering that kidney out on the open market anyway. This woman is willing to save the life of a friend. So Lutali's kidney transplant would not be at the expense of anyone else. It's between these two people and not anyone else. Okay. Maybe Colorado's healthcare system is overloaded with COVID patients and triage is necessary. Nope. This is not a problem in Colorado. But let me let me just give you this is you want the formal explanation from the hospital? Listen to this. This is a directive from them. Multiple studies show that COVID-19 is especially deadly for recipients of kidney transplants. It's a guy, it's a spokesman for the hospital. His name is Dan, Dan Weaver. So Weaver said the mortality rate 
observed for transplant patients who develop COVID ranges from about 20% to more than 30%, far higher than the just under 2% fatality rate observed generally in the U.S. An organ transplant, they are saying, is a unique surgery that leads to a lifetime of specialized management to ensure an organ is not rejected, which can lead to serious complications, the need for a subsequent transplant surgery, or even death. He continued, physicians must consider the short and long-term health risk for patients as they consider whether to recommend an organ transplant. Living donors, they say, could also pass a coronavirus infection to an organ recipient, threatening the patient's life. Oh, so they're going to sentence this woman to die, and you know why? Because she might die. (laughs) This is taken directly from the movie The Matrix, folks. They just, the only conclusion you can come to is to make it political, totally political. She doesn't want to be vaccinated. That means she is an evil conservative, and that means she likes Donald Trump, and so it's okay. The organized left want unvaccinated Trump supporters out of the picture. I'm not saying they want us dead, but they want us out of the picture. They don't want to see or hear us, that's for sure. Previously, these monsters were simply using reverse psychology to ensure unvaxxed Trump supporters remained unvaxxed. Now they're upping the game to doling out straight-up death sentences because you we're not going to let you get that kidney, even though you brought in a friend that has volunteered to give you a kidney. We can't let that happen. <laughs> in other words, they feel like they can talk this donor into giving her kidney to somebody else. Oh, by the way, somebody that's been vaxxed. This is the world it looks like we're living in, folks. You heard me talking to Nurse Danny about the change in the thinking, the thought process, not just in healthcare, but in every sector of our lives. And it just becomes more and more obvious every day because of things like this. And some more COVID news. This is interesting. USA Today, not a conservative outlet at all, very far left as a matter of fact. The USA Today and a labor and employment law website collected data from the 50 states, District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. And guess what numbers they came up with? 39 states have today shrinking COVID infections. And 25 of those states have lifted their statewide mask mandates. Now, let me ask you this. I'm in this business. My wife will tell you I'm a research fanatic. I read, I investigate, I look at all kinds of information from a multitude of sources here in the United States and from around the world. As a matter of fact, I have found out over the last couple of years that much of the news and information that we get that we can rely on don't come from the United States. They come from other countries and news organizations overseas. That's sad, but I just want to point that out. What I just told you, in 50 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, 39 states 
have shrinking COVID infections. 25 have lifted statewide mask mandates. Tell me where else you've heard this news. If you look and put in context what I just told you and what you're hearing and seeing and reading every day, this week, today, yesterday, it doesn't line up with what we're being told by the left. Those reports reveal more than a political divide, folks. One legal firm, Littler is the name of the firm, took a deep dive into the numbers that show conflicts between state governments and local jurisdictions. Many of the states rely on ever-changing info from the CDC. (laughs) Eight states plus Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. recently tightened restrictions. North Carolina, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Oregon, my state, Louisiana, Nevada, Virginia, and Washington. They tightened restrictions. Of those states, only three, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Washington, have slightly, only slightly elevated levels of infections. So this law firm, Littler, described the information this way. Governors and public health officials across the country implemented stringent mitigation measures to help contain the spread of COVID-19. As COVID cases rates fluctuate, face coverings remain popular as a preventative measure. Numerous jurisdictions have encouraged or even mandated citizens to wear face coverings when out in public, especially when social distancing cannot be maintained effectively. Some directives also obligate employers to provide masks to their employees. So USA Today then put together a comprehensive list of mask mandates and other COVID restrictions gleaned mostly from local news sources in states and territories. And they found this out. Across the U.S., officials are rolling out a patchwork of restrictions on social distancing now. Here we go. The orders vary by state, county, and even city. Restrictions are ramping up in many areas as cases surge nationwide. There's the S word, surge. Folks, the actual numbers are not surging. It's the other way around. At the height of restrictions, it says, in late March and early April, more than 310 million Americans were under directives ranging from shelter in place to stay at home. Health officials warned that easing restrictions too soon could bring new outbreaks, but many states chose to forge ahead. So you want to know who the states are that lifted the mass mandates? Okay. Texas, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, Ohio, South Dakota, Rhode Island, North Dakota, Maryland, Missouri, Nebraska, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, New Hampshire, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, California, Indiana, Iowa, Alaska, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Vermont. They've all lifted mask mandates. So what do you glean from this? What do you get out of this? What do I get out of it? I got to be honest with you. I get nothing factual out of it. I get more and more conspiracy efforts, and it just every day when I see this stuff coming up, it looks like decisions that we're told are being made based on science, 
are in no way being based on science. They're each and everyone based on political purposes at the time they are made. Case in point, look what Gavin Newsom did in the ramp up to his election in which a whole bunch of Californians voted for him to be removed because of his issues, because of what he was doing. He weaponized every COVID decision that he made, good or bad for the Californian people. It was for one reason and one reason only he made every one of them. And that was to give himself benefit in that recall election. He beat it. But nobody could believe, first of all, that he was almost removed from office. Nobody could even believe that was a possibility that would happen because he's California's fair-haired boy. And he's headed, if he gets a chance, he's headed to Washington, D.C. His sights are far away from Sacramento, the seat of government in California. He wants to be atop the heap in D.C. And so he's going to do anything and everything that he needs to do to be able to help himself. So do Californians think his choices, his decisions at every level are based on what he feels is best for you, Californians? Absolutely not. They're all based on what he considers to be best for him. There's the fundamental difference between leftist politicians and conservatives not saying any conservative, not saying all conservatives in politics think totally about what's best for their people, not saying that. What I'm saying is based upon the things that we see being done in Washington by politicians, conservatives have a much bigger perspective of the needs and the wants of their people, their voters, than the left the Democrats have for theirs. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes, for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy. A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. 
clippity clop, clippity clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing. None of this makes sense. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Let me ask you this. Have you been to a game, high school, college, a football game I'm talking about, where the fans use these stinking cowbells? I got to be honest with you. Um, For many years, I did radio for the Louisiana Tech Radio Football Network. And uh, a couple of times when I was doing that, Louisiana Tech went to uh, Mississippi and played Mississippi State. And they bring out those cowbells, folks. I thought there were other groups of fans that made a lot of noise. Those stinking cowbells when they get after it in that stadium, God, you can't hear yourself think. It's obscene. I don't know what the, I I get it. I know what the purpose is. But can't you come up with something a little more uh, conventional than bringing out a bell, I mean a big old cowbell, and ringing that thing during a football game? Yeah, it's distracting to those on the field, sure. But it drives everybody around you absolutely nuts, not to mention deaf. That's a definite possibility. I don't know what maybe I do know that bump coming in, Pete Moss talked about it. Need more cowbell? No, I need less cowbell. Hey, listen, before we get off the COVID-19, got a couple of issues that came up that I want to make sure you know about. I want you to know what your president, our president, is doing regarding pushing for mandates in businesses. Now, you thought he had done enough. You remember? He came out out several weeks ago and said he's going to require or he's going to have OSHA, who runs the regulations for commercial businesses across the nation, he's going to have them issue a regulation that requires every employer of 100 or more employees to require every employee be vaccinated, with the exception of those that have applied for and approved exceptions. He's not stopping there. Even before that regulation has been issued by OSHA and implemented, he's doubling down on what I call doubling down on stupid. President Biden is hoping businesses will become the next major influence in getting people vaccinated against COVID. In a visit to Illinois on Thursday, the president said employers have the power to, quote, change the arc of the pandemic. He called on all businesses to require vaccines. Meantime, a lower dose of Pfizer's vaccine could soon be available for young children. CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Nancy Cordes has all the details. Tonight, 28 million children are one step closer to potentially life-saving protection. Pfizer and BioNTech have asked the FDA to authorize their vaccine for use in children ages 5 to 11 at one-third the adult dosage. You want to maximize the protection with the fewest amount of side effects. Dr. Grace Lee leads a CDC advisory board. She's a pediatrician at Stanford. Like many other children's hospitals, we have had children who have died of COVID. I think that while the vast majority of children can tolerate the infection and do well, uh, we also know that sometimes we're not able to predict well 
um, who will suffer severe consequences. Kids make up 22% of the population, but 27% of newly reported COVID cases. Immunizing them could help prevent scenes like this. Danville, Pennsylvania schools forced to close this week because quarantine rates were too high. I was uh, nervous, I should say, uh, because uh, he's under the high-risk zone with asthma. A heartbreaking new study in the journal Pediatrics finds that COVID caused more than 140,000 U.S. children to lose a parent or grandparent caregiver over the past 15 months. That's one in every 515 children. Black and Hispanic children were even more likely to lose a caretaker. 700,000 people dead in the United States. In Chicago today, President Biden argued new corporate vaccine mandates are making a difference. By pushing the number of eligible but unvaccinated Americans down from 95 million in late July to 67 million today. My message is require your employees to get vaccinated. With vaccinations, we're going to beat this pandemic finally. Without them, we face endless months of chaos in our hospitals, damage to our economy, and anxiety in our schools. And Nancy Cordes joins me now from the White House. Nancy, the president said that the Labor Department will soon issue his rule requiring companies with more than 100 employees to be vaccinated. Do we know now how this will be enforced? Yes, yeah, so it's going to be an OSHA rule, which means that it'll be enforced by the Department of Labor. Obviously, uh, it is uh, very difficult for the federal government to ensure that every single company of 100 employees or more is actually complying with the rule. So um, it's a bit of catch as catch can. But what the administration is hoping that the fines that are associated with noncompliance will push many businesses to get on board. And, and frankly, there are um, anecdotally many industries that have said privately that they would really like to have these rules because they just want some political cover uh, for introducing requirements that they have been wanting to introduce anyway, having to do with vaccination mandates. So what the rule essentially says for companies of 100 people or more is uh, you've either got to make sure that your employees are vaccinated or they have to submit to regular testing. And that applies, by the way, to about 100 million working Americans. So with one new rule, uh, you capture a large part of the workforce. That's huge coverage. Uh, and as you reported, Nancy, the White House says that these vaccine requirements are lowering the number of unvaccinated Americans. But a new report also shows that mandates are having an impact on our economy. So what more can you tell us about that? So what this report essentially said was that in late July, uh, when the president first announced that he was going to be requiring federal employees to either get vaccinated or submit to regular testing, which he later amended to sort of take away the testing option, um, and, and when he began pushing companies to do the same thing, you saw this big decrease from about 95 million eligible Americans who had not been vaccinated to to about 67 million today. So a precipitous drop. You can't um, 
say that all of that was due to vaccine mandates around the country because, you know, we had a big uh, surge of, of Delta-related COVID cases uh, over the summer that prompted people to get vaccinated out of fear of, of getting, uh, getting the virus. But uh, certainly we know that in industries that have required people to get vaccinated, you've seen this big uh, surge from, let's say, 60, 70 percent of the workforce being vaccinated up to 95 percent. So what this report says that the White House issued is that when you issue these vaccine mandates, not only do they help get more people vaccinated, but they also help the economy because it brings more people back into the workforce. There are Americans who are worried about going back into an unsafe workforce who might be more willing to do so if they know that everyone around them has been vaccinated as well. So there you go. That's from a national level, an opinion that um, we call it here at Truth News Network. We call that from the 10,000-foot level. In other words, not getting into the ground-level details of anything to do with COVID-19. And so much of what you hear at the global level, remember, you're talking about the effects of all of this, everything to do with COVID-19. You're talking about, at a global level, 337 million people. It's a little bit different when you come down off of the mountain from the 10,000-foot level to ground level and you start listening and looking at one by one by one how it's impacting directly every American. There's not a single person in your life, not one, that is not and has not been impacted directly by something, many things, to do with COVID-19. Its efficacy, the vaccine, masking, social distancing, quarantine, lockdown, canceled jobs, companies not being able to work, not being able to operate, and their employees sitting on the ground. It has impacted every part of our country. And you know how it's doing it? It's not doing it. It's not changing our country the way that our country was structured to be changed in every circumstance. Our country is the people. And government here is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. Everything is supposed to move in politics in every area, from the bottom up, which is counter to the way every country on the planet operates. That very thing, that establishment tenet itself, is what made this country over 260 years, has made it what it is today. It's not the operation from the top down that we see in every other country on the planet. But what's happening right now, and COVID-19 is a weaponized tool to do this, that whole thing has flipped over 180 degrees. What there is an extreme push to do is for everything in our lives, not just politically, folks, every part of your life and my life is to be regulated, designed, approved or disapproved, controlled totally from the top down. No different than governments in Europe, in Asia, 
and a little closer to home, similar to what's happening in Canada to a lesser degree. And so in that context, it makes it just a little bit easier to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about all of this information. It's like somebody purposely took all the weapons away from our political leaders, turned turned all of those in, and then whoever this somebody is passed out shotguns in place of the armament that they had in their hands, and they loaded all the shotguns with scatter shot. In other words, instead of having a rifle with bullets to shoot at specific targets and to hit specific things, shotguns scatters. You can shoot more things out there. You're not going to hit the target head on every time. You're going to hit the target, but it's going to be spread out all over. You'll get one target, but it will include others as well. You can disseminate more stuff with one shot, but what you can also do is keep everybody wondering about what's going to happen when the shot is fired. You understand my reasoning? There's a whole lot of uncertainty out there, and this uncertainty didn't just materialize. It didn't just happen. It didn't come from Mother Nature. It didn't come from God. It comes from politicians that have weaponized, as Nurse Danny said in our first hour, they have weaponized the healthcare industry, just as they did politics, and just as they want to do to every other sector of our country. Look at what's happening in education. What we talked about, the critical race theory battles, our Department of Justice stepping in, our Attorney General took it upon himself to write a memo and issue a memo putting the FBI and other agencies, federal agencies on notice that they're going to, the Department of Justice, we are going to make sure that American parents don't illegally at these school board meetings they're going to around the nation, they don't illegally terrorize school board members, threaten school board members. Well, let me just tell you this. In the context of that, what is the Department of Justice supposed to be doing right now in that regard? What is the FBI supposed to be doing right now in that regard? And where are you going with this, Dan? It's real simple, folks. If that's happening, if what Merrick Garland alleged is happening at school board meetings in the memo that he sent, if it's really happening, why the heck aren't they doing something about it already? If there are threats, credible threats that are happening, if these parents going to these school board meetings are threatening in any way school board members, school teachers, educators, administrators, doing so is illegal right now today. If that's a task, that the Department of Justice in its various branches is legally authorized to do and are charged to do as part of their job and their commitment in government, why the heck aren't they already doing it? Why do they have to take out a broad brush and just paint it over every American parent that has a kid in public school that is concerned about the drivel, 
that's being crammed down the throats of their children. That is not truthful. It's not American. And it's not what is supposed to be being taught to our kids. If there's something wrong with that, if there's something illegal with them expressing themselves and it goes beyond their rights in the First Amendment, the government should have already stepped in. And local authorities are there to make sure on a local level that it doesn't get bad. If it gets bad and the local government can't handle it, they pass it upstream to the feds. This has nothing to do with the safety of these people in leadership in the public school system. It has to do with the clamping down, the quieting of dissonant voices of American people who are simply expressing their constitutional rights under the First Amendment. And our government is trying to quash that, diminish our rights under the First Amendment. Don't think that's not already happening, folks, because you're looking at it. It's happening right now, today. One more thing before we leave COVID-19. And this one's a sad thing. In Orange County, California, it's a great place. I love Orange County. I um, I wouldn't want to live there. If I had to live in California, I'd want to live in large uh, Orange County. Newport Beach, it's a great place. Love it there. And, of course, the weather is divine. It's on the water. It's just a great place to be. But it's a big, big county. Biggest one in California. It stretches from, uh, let's see, I guess Long Beach, south of Long Beach, which is kind of at mid-Los Angeles, and it goes all the way down south. You know how far L.A. is from San Diego. Orange County stretches to just north of the city limits of San Diego. But there are a lot of different people there, a lot of different ideas and thoughts a lot of different political ideas. In healthcare, it's the same way. And there's a sad death that happened to a woman immediately after she got her second dose of Moderna's vaccine. And before we move away from this, I want you to listen to this report out of Orange County, California. The Orange County Coroner's Office is investigating the death of a woman who passed away several days after getting her second Moderna vaccine. The family says the mother and grandmother was healthy before she got her shot and that her sudden death came as a shock. Eyewitness News reporter Jessica Denova has more. This Orange County son worries his mom died because of her second Moderna COVID-19 vaccine dose. A conversation with staff at the OC coroner's office about Griselda Flores' death raised red flags for Richard Cardenas and his family. They made it seem like this was like not the first call that they had. OC Assistant Chief Deputy Coroner Brad Olson says that's right. Olson tells Eyewitness News a handful of deaths, including Griselda's, are under investigation because they happened one to three days after the person got a COVID-19 vaccine dose. And that means our doctors want to run some additional studies, whether it be toxicology, micros, uh, or just a review of medical records to see their, their treatment course and look for those other underlying conditions. But we haven't come to the conclusion yet that the vaccine had anything directly to do with the causes of death. Cardena says his mom was a healthy, outgoing, hardworking mother and grandmother. Happy, smiling, always, you know, 
telling me she loves me. The day after her second shot on April 14th at a CVS in Orange, Griselda complained of the expected side effects, chills, body aches, and a fever. She looked really pale, though. Really, really pale. pale. And she just said she was tired and she was going to go home and sleep. Two days after her second dose, Griselda's family says they found her dead in her room. I'm very, very worried about public safety because now it's just like if my mom passed away, how many other people are going to pass away? CDC data shows in the U.S. there were less than two deaths per 100,000 COVID-19 vaccines administered. And death investigations didn't find vaccinations contributed to patient deaths. A person has a higher likelihood of dying if they contract the COVID-19 virus, according to California Department of Public Health numbers. 1,660 deaths per 100,000 cases. Olson says the deaths pending investigation date back to January, and the decedents, both male and female, received either the Moderna or Pfizer shot. The results of further studies may come three months after death, maybe longer. If our doctors recognize something anywhere during the death investigation process that would lead to a public health or public safety concern, we would immediately raise those alarms through our Orange County health care partners. That's what they say, folks. We've got your back. We're going to make sure of this and make sure of that. We hear that every day. But what we're seeing play out on the streets is not quite what they're telling us. Um, anyway, this just lit up during that soundbite. And you won't believe this. The New York Times, moments ago, they issued a correction stating it severely misreported the number of child COVID-19 hospitalizations in the U.S. They missed it slightly by almost a million cases, 800,000 plus cases. The New York Times report, it's titled, A New Vaccine Strategy for Children, Just One Dose for Now, first reported that about 900,000 children have been hospitalized with the virus, since the start of the pandemic in early 2020. However, the article has since been corrected, not withdrawn, but corrected to say that more than 63,000 children were hospitalized with COVID-19 from August 2020 to October 2021. Now, why would they change the number that way? They changed it from a number to a range of dates, and they didn't give an actual number, more than 63,000. A note from an editor was added. Here's what it said. An earlier version of this article incorrectly described actions taken by regulators in Sweden and Denmark. They have halted the use of Moderna vaccines in children. They have not begun offering single doses. The article the editor added also misstated the number of COVID hospitalizations in U.S. children. It's more than 63,000 from August 2020 to October 21st, not 900,000. <laughs> they slightly missed it. More than 63,000, but it's not 900,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. In addition, he said, the article misstated the timing out of an FDA meeting on authorization of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for children. It's later this month, not next week. This is supposedly the foremost news media outlet in the nation, even the world, the New York Times. 
and on something so critical for Americans to know and understand the truth about. COVID-19, everything to do with it, especially hospitalizations of children. And they give the number 900,000, and it's only slightly more than 63,000 nationwide in 18 months. And they think it's okay to just come out and change the story. They did not withdraw the story. They edited the story to say more than 63,000, but not 900,000. Credible? Heck no, it's not credible. Speaking of no credibility, how about Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Mr. I'm going to change my mind before I finish the next two sentences, Mayorkas. He's up next here at TNN Live. And there are people that want him gone, people in government that want Mayorkas gone. Details ahead. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron's Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items... You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5... Keep out, say Big Bob. ...and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Baron's has that rare combination of good food... Take out your wallet. ...good fun... Give us your money. ...and good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's... You do, you do. ...or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy. not a single editor in that organization that was even there when things were really, really good. I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't start following the New York Times until probably the last six or seven years, but 
you know, really following it. Um, but over the last few years, I subscribed to it just simply because what we do here is we follow the news and follow facts. And I got to be honest with you, when we began doing that, it's not cheap to follow, to subscribe even online to the New York Times. It was insane how many incorrections that we saw, and we didn't dig into every story they published, but just the ones that we read and saw and knew when we read them. You know, get that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach. I don't think that's right. Let me find out if that's truthful. I mean, it happened every day on a New York Times story. And if the number one entity in the world is doing that kind of stuff, what do you think is happening elsewhere in our news sources? Oh, my gosh. Mr. Mayorkas. Mr. Mayorkas. Congress should investigate and call upon the resignation of Secretary Mayorkas for abandoning his job. That came from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He continued, Mayorkas is not doing what the Secretary of Homeland Security is supposed to do, which among other things means supporting and deploying the Border Patrol agents, which is completely lacking and inadequate down here. So Secretary Mayorkas is a disaster in what he has done. No one should put any trust or confidence in anything that he says. Secretary Mayorkas has been non-responsive to we as border governors, and we have 26 governors on that letter asking for action right now. This is from Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Secretary Mayorkas took 90 days to respond to the letter that Arizona sent him in March. He should resign. Those two governors were part of a 10-governor trip to Texas, of all places. Where better to highlight the damage being done by Biden's loose border policies than Texas, right? Instead of the normal hand-waving and grandstanding by evasive GOP legislators, this group, these are actual CEOs of states, governors. They delivered a 10-point plan for repairing Biden's migration damage, much of which is being directed by Mayorkas. He's a pro-migration zealot who runs the nation's Department of Homeland Security. We're not going to give you the list. We, we covered the list, the 10 things that they recommended that uh, needs to be done regarding Mayorkas. The governor's then outlined some of the damage done by Biden and his open border deputies. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts said this, his reports have shown 18% of the families are coming here illegally or being released. They're testing positive for covid and when it comes to the unaccompanied minors, that's 20%. I've seen a report he said out there that shows that the Biden administration may have placed up to 40,000 COVID-positive people into our cities around the United States. Just think about how many drugs are slipping through the cracks and slipping into the bloodstreams in our communities. This isn't a figure of speech. This is our reality. Fentanyl overdoses have replaced car accidents as a leading cause of death for people 19 and younger in Pima County, one of our border communities. By neglecting the border, Biden has fueled an opioid epidemic in America. And then Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. Ohio folks, they're at the Texas border expressing their concerns. 
Governor DeWine said in Ohio, at least 80% of our overdose deaths every week are caused by fentanyl. It gets mixed into everything. I get calls. I get letters from family members who have lost someone. So this crisis at the southern border is a humanitarian crisis. It's also a drug crisis. It's a fentanyl crisis. And then even Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said this, we're seeing the same thing as I've indicated in our press conferences. With I-35 and I-80, we're a direct route for drugs to pipe through to Des Moines and then out through the rest of the United States. Earlier this year, it was 1,000% increase from what we saw at the same time last year, and that's killing our young people. The other GOP governors included Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, Idaho Governor Brad Little, Montana Government Greg Gianforth, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, and Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon. Amid the stories of drugs and crimes, Arizona Governor Ducey stepped up the criticism. He said, this year, President Biden took the oath of office to become our country's 46th commander-in-chief. Instead of commanding our military, he's commanded drug cartels and other criminals to wreak havoc on the U.S. He and VP Harris and Secretary Mayorkas have allowed criminals and drugs to run rampant in our streets. It's time for them to do something about it. They're angry, folks. They're mad. And they don't want to they don't want this to continue and they are tired of being told we're going to take care of it. Be patient. We're going to take care of it. We've got your backs. That's what's coming out of D.C. every day. And none of it ever happens. It continues to worsen, as a matter of fact. And the worst part about it, the American people don't know the truth. This administration, I cannot even believe Joe Biden would ever one time say or indicate or demand transparency from anyone. He promised it. He made it appear that in the Trump administration, everything was hidden. We found out there is no hidden stuff in the Trump administration. Everything that could possibly have happened was almost in real time made available to the American people. In this administration, nothing, nothing whatsoever. There is not any reputable media outlet that has made it their task to do whatever it takes to expose the wrongdoing of the president himself and those in his administration. It's eerily similar to the eight years of Barack Obama and Joe Biden as vice president. That's not a conspiracy, folks. That's fact. And in the middle of all of this, we talked a moment ago, well, a little bit ago, we talked about our Department of Justice and our Attorney General Merrick Garland. Remember that memo that came out early this week from the Attorney General, and it was addressed to the FBI and other federal agencies, instructing them to be ready. They need to get with local and area law enforcement people to tackle the terrorist problems that are happening at these public school school board meetings because some of these parents are turning themselves, allowing their pushback against critical race theory curriculum. They're weaponizing that against these school board members and terrorizing these school board members. Guess what comes out overnight? 
Attorney General Merrick Garland, he wrote that memo, signed that memo. His son-in-law is the co-founder of an educational data mining company, and that company promotes the tenets of critical race theory. This report noting Garland's family ties to CRT comes in the wake of his memo that we just referenced, telling the FBI to mobilize against those parents. As the New York Times reported in 2018, Garland's daughter, Rebecca, married Alexander Tanner, who is co-founder and president of Panorama Education, which is a Boston-based software and analytical data services company that brags about the fact that its founders were once student activists. The bride's father, the story says, Judge Merrick Garland, took part in the ceremony giving a tribute to the couple. The bride's father is the chief judge at that time of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Her mother advises government and nonprofit groups on voting system security and accuracy issues. Panorama, by the way, his company produces data mining surveys for schools, including, quote, equity and inclusion surveys and conducts professional development training in the areas of equity and inclusion for teachers and administrators. The company says this, The Panorama Equity and Inclusion Survey provides schools and districts with a clear picture of how students, teachers, and staff are thinking and feeling about diversity, equity, and inclusion in school. The survey can help schools and districts track the progress of equity initiatives through the lens of students and staff, identify areas for celebration and improvement, inform professional development, and signal the importance of equity and inclusion to the community. By asking students and teachers and staff to reflect on their personal experiences of equity and inclusion, I hate that term, equity and inclusion. Panorama said education leaders can gather what they call actionable data to understand and improve the racial and cultural climate on campus. In June of 2020, Panorama co-founder and CEO Aaron Fuhr wrote in a company blog post titled Our Stand Against Systemic Racism. Here's what he said. We are angered and heartbroken by the murder of George Floyd last week. Yet another act of violence against a black person in America. And yet another consequence of this long history of systemic racism in America. This must change as millions of people across the country stand up to protest this system of racism and oppression. We stand with them. We say decisively, black people matter. Black students matter. Black educators matter. Black teammates matter. Black lives matter. That from the partner of the attorney general's son-in-law in a company that what they do is they do surveying, they gather data, and the fundamental premise and purpose for what they do is to teach people, educators, how to weaponize racism and use that weaponization of racism 
against people that they have labeled in their survey findings that are racist. Did you get that? You want me to repeat it? The CRT experts, all of them, put them all in a big basket. I don't care who they are or what companies they work with. The end result for them is more money and more power to enable them to get more money. And how do you do that? You have to denigrate. You have to put down one group of people by another group of people using what the alleged wrong that's going on in the group that's being targeted, targeted use that very thing that you're alleging to go after and destroy them. In other words, I think you're racist. So what I'm going to do is make you a target and I'm going to use claims of racism against you to destroy you. I'm doing this, the exact same thing that I'm accusing you of doing, but I'm going to tweak what it sounds like so it makes it okay for me to destroy you using it. That's exactly what this is. Exactly. And it's the Attorney General's son-in-law. <laughs> Meanwhile, the president of the American Federation of Teachers Union took to Twitter to defend the Biden Department of Justice in their move to mobilize the FBA against these parents who are, this story says, voicing concerns. Voicing concerns to school officials and boards about critical race theory. Now, a union is stepping out here. And you've heard this woman, her name, the head of this teacher's union, Randy Weingarten. We've, we've uh, actually played an audio of her. Here's what she said. Violence isn't speech. When you see right-wing politicians saying the DOJ is going after speech, just note who they're defending. They're defending violence against teachers and school boards. This is interesting. She said they're defending violence against teachers and school boards. What does that mean? Well, she linked her tweet to an article education media outlet called Education Week. And Education Week reported this. It's unclear exactly how many threats and acts of violence have been committed against educators in recent months, but some members of the public have reached, reacted angrily in response to schools' decision to adopt mask mandates and quarantine policies for students during the pandemic. In September, three adults sought to execute a citizen's arrest of an Arizona principal, showed up at her school. The men were arrested and charged. I mean, this, this just gets worse and worse and worse. It deepens. It gets wider. And in all of this process, they're muddying up exactly what the purposes are and what the end result that they want is other than what we just said. They want more money. And with that more money, they want more power over all of the institutions that are used to directly impact our lives every day, 24-7. Principally and primarily, our kids. So you remember Joe Biden, his relationship with China and the things in his career 
in the Senate and then as vice president that he had to say about China. He went to China all the time during the Barack Obama administration, and we've heard a lot of what that was about. We heard that Hunter went with him on several trips there, and that on one specific trip on Air Force Two, Hunter went along, and um, Hunter was introduced to the officers of a Chinese conglomerate, a big, 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 big company, a Chinese company, and they needed help in investing some of their cash, you know, dollars and cents or yuan, whatever you want to call it. And so they needed help doing it. So Hunter Biden, he didn't have any financial investment, any kind of planning, any of that information. He had none, nothing in his background that made it okay for him to do this. But on that trip, he got a commitment from the Chinese government and this company and they acted on it several weeks later and they invested a billion five hundred million dollars in Hunter Biden's company. Now it wasn't Xi Jinping, the president of China. He didn't write the check. But in China, folks, every business, commercial, whatever, it's controlled by the Chinese government, as is everything in China. So that billion five hundred million dollars that went to Hunter Biden's company from China and this quote unquote company had to be approved by the guy at the top, who, by the way, had a great personal and business and political relationship with Hunter's daddy. So guess what Uncle Joe is doing right now? He is considering, Biden is, providing tariff exemptions, those exemptions that were put on China during the Trump administration to level the playing field that would make and have forced China to play by the same rules in the marketplace, in the capitalist marketplace, the same rules that apply to the U.S. apply to China. Well, Joe is thinking about, that's the the term that's used, is considering providing tariff exemptions for more than 500 products that are made in China. 500 products that are made in China that have tariffs on them now because the Chinese were selling those 500 products in the open markets on the world market, undercutting similar or the exact same items being produced here in the United States. This week, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said the administration would continue to preserve tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Chinese products first imposed by former President Trump. That's the way she started this whole thing. She's considered one of the only economic nationalists in Biden's globalist-centric cabinet. She said the administration would begin a targeted tariff exclusion process that it's going to review whether more than 500 Chinese-made products should be excluded from tariffs. According to Tai, these tariff exclusions for some corporations with Chinese-made products expired in January after the Trump administration issued a number of exemptions, including for products like the Apple Watch and thousands of other products made in China. In other words, they didn't exclude China from anything tariff on anything that was being made in the United States. Apple doesn't make any watches 
in the United States. That doesn't matter to Joe Biden. And we're going to see that play out in coming days. You watch. We'll keep you posted. But they're going to take tariffs off a bunch of Chinese-made products. Why would he even think about doing that? Why would he be doing that at all? You take a list of 500 products that we use here in the United States. We use, we sell. Somebody's got to buy it, but they're coming to the United States. 500 of them. They're made in China. You can book it that of that 500, a large percentage are products that are made by Chinese competitors here domestically. So what happens? Any of those that had tariffs put on them, the tariffs were leveling the playing field, taking away the advantage, the Chinese that were selling these goods and products, taking away a financial advantage they have to give people in the United States the want to have the Chinese version instead of the American version so they can make more money selling the Chinese version. What Trump did was put a tariff on it to basically say, it's going to be a quid pro quo thing. We're going to force China to pay these tariffs to offset the differences where they are undercutting, knocking the legs out of American manufacturers and business suppliers so that those products and goods will, instead of being bought from China, they'll be bought in America, which is going to make American companies more profits, which means they're going to hire more American people, pay better wages, expand their companies, yada, yada, yada. There is no good reason for Joe Biden to do that. There's no business reason. There's no political purpose whatsoever other than having some specific reason to change the government policy and to actually give China a leg up in the marketplace. Wow. That is a wrap on this show today. A great Friday. Thank you to Nurse Danny for coming. We'll have her back and we'll keep posted on what happens for her. For the rest of you folks, don't forget Saturday Bullet Points tomorrow. We'll be here with the highlights of the greatest and the biggest and the most important stories of the day. That'll go live at 1.45 a.m. in the morning. So when you get up, pour the cup of coffee and join us for Bullet Points. Have a great weekend. Can I say thanks For the things You've done for me Things so undeserved Yet you gave To prove your love to me The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude all that I am and ever hope to be I owe it all to thee
just let me live my life and let it be pleasing Lord to thee and should I gain 